2: I mean, uncertainty typically helps us reprioritize ourselves. So in that context, like we get clear about what matters and what doesn't matter to us. And we can make new choices.
0: Welcome to the Earn Your Happy Podcast. I'm Lori Harder, founder of The Bliss Project, three-time fitness world champion, fitness expert and cover model turned self-love junkie, lifestyle entrepreneur and author. Here we go. Hey, everyone. Welcome back. Chris and I have started a grant program right now for the time being. So what we're doing is for the next 10 weeks, Chris and I have decided to give two $1,000 grants to small business owners. And we're going to be giving all of the details for that coming up really, really soon. But we will be giving away grants on Wednesday evenings at six o'clock P.S.T., on our Instagram Live. So you can come to my page and all of the announcements and winners will be announced there. But we are going to create an application program so that you can apply. So you guys tune in on every Wednesday to find out how you can apply and to see if you have won one of the grants. So for the next 10 weeks, we will be giving two $1,000 grants to small business owners to help you guys out. And we couldn't be more excited. I will be letting you know how you can be a part of this, but just want to give you guys a heads up to start watching those Instagram lives Wednesday at six o'clock. And my guest today, you guys, he is like a freaking genius. Not only that, I think that you are going to love listening to him the way that he teaches and the way that he just shows you how to get to your next level in your mindset and in your business that's the key in your mindset and in your business right because when you get to the next level in your mindset you tend to get to the next level in everything that you're doing business and relationships and I actually first heard him on Ali Webb's podcast raising the bar and I literally said oh my god like I, I was on the beach listening to this podcast which I share a little bit of this- Story, I was taking a walk and I was like, oh my, who is this? Like, I have to have this person on my podcast. So, my incredible guest today is Adrian Kaler, he's a leadership engagement expert. He coaches executives and entrepreneurs in the art and science of personal engagement for themselves, their teams, and clients in order to create new, unprecedented results and experience fulfillment in their work. In the process of developing his craft, he's worked in multiple contexts. He's done higher education, startups, multinational corporations, small to medium sized businesses, and healthcare. And over the last decade, his passion for human performance has taken him around the globe to partner and serve organizations that are committed to being their best and making a difference in the world. And something that I love is his ability to not only communicate, but to be able to solve conflicts for people in different relationships in business and in life. So I it's seriously, right in the middle of this, I'm like, I'm going to have to have a part two with him because I didn't even get to half of the things that I wanted to ask him. So you guys, let's just jump right into the podcast. Here we go. Adrian, I'm so excited for you to be on the show. Thank you so much for coming on.
2: Hey, happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Okay, so let me just, I'm just going to tell you how you came into my world. Okay. I am, I've been listening to Raising the Bar, which is Allie Webb and her brother's um, podcast, which I yep. heard a rumor that you might partially be we a co-host. Just our, we
2: just recorded our. First two podcasts yesterday with me as the co-host. It's happening.
0: I am so ridiculously excited. You have no idea. And you guys will tune (sighs) in to that podcast and find out why um, Mm. as soon as you start listening. But I'm on the beach when the beach was still opened.
3: (laughs) It was like two
0: or three weeks ago. And I'm listening to this podcast between the three of you. And I'm literally... Like completely obsessed because number one, I'm obsessed with leadership. Um, yep. Number two, I love. I have.
2: I have the disease. I have the disease as well. So we're.
0: Oh my god! Also,
2: also obsessed with leadership.
0: I could talk about it all day long because you have to put yourself into the shoes of other people and truly. Like look at their entire lives and experiences and stories and languaging and everything to be able to understand what's going on. And it was so much fun to listen mm. to the conversation as where, you know, um Allie and Michael, correct?
3: Yep. Okay, where, yeah, yeah, where Michael
0: where they were like as far as like the business and understanding people and opening all of these different chains and dry bars and, and all of these employees and of course having to uh not only get the mission out in the world, but have this, you know, um these ideas and these goals that you want for the company and trying to translate that forward and I was like oh my god I so understand this right now on so many levels and for you to be like this I felt like this calm voice of reason like let's look at what's really going on here so I I couldn't wait to bring you on because there are so many people who listen to this podcast who I think sometimes as entrepreneurs or leaders out in the world like we can get very focused on just our mission and getting out there and why don't people understand and building our team is that, you know, this is one of the stories that I know is out there amongst a lot of people that we work with is finding your team is the hardest part and having them understand and why can't they just work as hard as you? And I thought it was so beautiful how much perspective that you bring in around Mm. all of these uh, different ideas. So first of all, I just wanted to tell you, thank you because (laughs) I literally was like, Exploding to my husband when I came home. I was like, this guy, oh my God, he should create like a leadership app. He should do a conflict resolution app that people can use. Like, so I had ideas for you that I wasn't even, you know, telling awesome. you, but, um, yes, but grateful for you. So tell me, how did you get into this? Because I also know that you have a really diverse background. So, what do you do now and how did it start?
2: Sure. So first off, thanks for having me on. Uh, Deep respect. As After you reached out to me, did the same thing, deep dive, like, wow, okay, this girl's got a lot that she is committed to create, which I could just tell. And it comes out just your energy, Mm -hmm. your approach to the world. Um, So thank you. I love people like you. um, Mm -hmm. And I want to be around people like you. Um, And for me, as a person that's always been uh, blessed and cursed with the idea that life is as meaningful as we make it, You know, I want to be around people that are you know making meaning, and there's lots of lots of ways to do that. And I know I'm not answering your question yet, but it is the subtext of the answer to the question is Mm. how do you make life worth worth it, and how do you do it with people you love, really, Mm. and take on that banner. Most people don't. Most people just take life. I mean, uh, experience life as if it was given to them, as if it was handed to them, Mm. and realize they can fold the cards that were handed and get a new get a new uh, you know set of cards if they want, but that's risky. So what I do on a daily basis is run a company. I've got a couple of phenomenal partners that we run it together. It's called Take New Ground. And it's under a banner organization called Human Performance Unlimited that'll tell you a lot about what we're about. So we're about people making the most, making the biggest ruckus out there in the world or making the biggest difference. And we think that's an unlimited conversation if people Mm -hmm. decide to live that way. And that is a decision. Um, Some people are live that way and don't know their, They've decided because it's been that way forever. Most of us um, have to make a decision to go live to go explore what their own capacity is. so and we think that's unlimited. Uh, at least it's worth the road is more rich if we decide that it's unlimited. That's what I would say. Mm. So you know, but on a daily basis I'm coaching uh, select executives, founders, entrepreneurs. That's what I spend most of my time doing when I' when I'm quote unquote working in the business. Um, as a practitioner i'm like today I talked to two different founders one runs a well known ice cream company one runs a well known uh, technology company and both very different people same human challenges so and they're both founders and really brilliant and trying to figure out how to navigate themselves as they have their brilliance has worked and so now how, what do they do what do they do now really and then and, and how do you how do they harness their talent in a way that's actually a gift to the organization that they birthed, because for most leaders, if they're good, they end up not being significant in their company anymore. Mm. Because you know they've they've brought in amazing people, and they're not as needed. And then there's lots of ways. This is a rabbit hole we can get down. What people typically do, but you know, there's just transitions. There's like needed evolution, and um, for most folks, when you're talented and uh, smart and ambitious, at some point, people. Uh, and for a lot of people, early in life, people quit giving them the hard feedback because they're the boss. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's lots of you know there's lots of satisfaction in that because they're not being challenged. There's lots of you know satisfaction the ego in that because um, you know they're being applauded all the time. And there's some also there's also a lot that's missing for them because they they're not they don't have a look in the mirror anymore. And you know all of my clients, at least when I'm talking to them. In some initial conversation, I'll say something to them that... Something like, hey, I know what your dirty little secret is. <laughs> and they'll, like, what? They'll, what? what? <laughs> they get very nervous. They get very nervous. Oh no, did you um, Google me? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I found it. I found it. What you wished I wouldn't found, I found it. No, but all high performers know this is that when they... They can operate at a 6 out of 10 productivity level and nobody notices because their 6 out of 10 is better than most people's mm-hmm. 10 out of 10 yeah and they they 're haunted by it right like mm-hmm. they're, they know they know they 're not all in, but nobody else notices, but they 're haunted by it at night, and you know and that 's the meaning conversation like if i 'm not throwing myself at something, um, we 've got all these justifiable reasons why we 're not, but it still bothers us so anyway, so for most of my clients that I work with on a personal basis, you know that 's the gap, the six out of ten, which is usually daring, might be complete reinvention, might be leaving the company they built. It might be, you know, re- reorienting, you know, uh, replacing some people. It just there's always risk involved because they have to leave the safety of success mm. uh, in order to, you know, potentially look like a fool again, potentially look like a failure again. Which makes sense when you have very little to lose, mm-hmm. you know, to look like a fool is not like a bad thing, or you know, to like have incremental growth is not um, uh, a bad thing. But you know, once you're successful, to leave that's the safety of success mm-hmm. is a big deal like you to look like a fool and to not make it or to not be as smart again as you were the first time so mm-hmm. i help i help folks navigate those waters and really what my role is to help frame reality in a way that's approachable and worth it uh, so
0: that it, i'm i'm feeling that on such a deep level right now that it's making me okay. make this decision of do i want to use this podcast to help serve others or myself um <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, Have at it. So, if it serves you, if it serves you, it'll probably serve you. That's my them.
0: theory. That's why I started this podcast. I was like, an hour of coaching, a couple times a week. Great. <laughs>
2: yeah. Yeah. But Party okay.
0: On. So that what, you, what are
2: you what are you avoiding? Well, I'm at the I'm at
0: the six staring down the ten right now. And it's literally like leaving a life of um of just fulfillment and success and security. It just I'm I'm already there. I've already hit the the place that I dreamt of since I was a little kid. And I know that where I'm supposed to go next is like way bigger than, you know, it's like sweaty palms and armpits and all of the things of like something that I know nothing about. And, um, I think that that's what it's making me realize though. And what it's making me do again is it's making me deeply connect with all of the people, um, who I serve like at an d- yes. even deeper level than I did before. Um, yep. So it's been really thrilling, exciting, horrendous. And, and I don't <laughs> think people know of all of those levels sometimes. I know that a lot of people listening do know, um, but it yep. never changes, right? Like the pivot is never like, oh, this pivot feels really nice today. It's always that moment of, I'm a beginner again. I'm going to look stupid. Like, yep. what are people going to think? And And also... You know the questions of I think that are out there too is like when will she or he ever be fulfilled? What's enough? Is you know what's wrong with me? Why do I need more? Like all of those things. So what do you do when someone says that to you? Like what is is there something wrong with me that I feel like I need more even though I've reached these different things or done these things that I've wanted?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question. I mean, most ambitious people are haunted by that question. I mean, I, I think about it for myself as. Because I don't meet a high performer that's not angsty, Yeah. right? And and that's part of it. It's like you know, when am I done? when am I done? Oh, never. Um, and how good could it get? We don't know how good it could get. Let's just mm-hmm. keep striving. So most high performers are haunted that way. I mean, and some some place along the way, I don't know when it started. There was a worship of, and I, I tend to use some hyperbolic language, so forgive me if it seems a bit dramatic. For example, there's a worship of the contentment. For me, like like that, that's like the goal
3: mm.
2: for a lot of people. Like I'm just looking for some contentment. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I mean, mm. my or you know, and but in, in recent couple of years, it's gone more towards happiness. I just want to be happy. And I think for most folks, the search for happiness will guarantee that it won't happen. Mm. Or how they're searching for it, because they're looking for some kind of steady state and life doesn't exist in a steady state.
3: No.
2: It's always, in the, it's always just right here. And, you know, am I, I mean, I've got three guiding principles for my day. I write them on my thumb. Uh, it's, it's, they when fit on alligator. your thumb. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> written on my thumb. G H G is okay. what it stands for. Uh, just, yeah, just, just three letters. Okay. Um, I was picturing but, yeah, th- small
0: paragraphs.
2: that would be wonderful it's like wow this guy's rebellious he's got tats all over his hands and he does all these keynotes what a crazy man um no but just i just write on my thumb with a pen i've thought about getting a tattoo but i haven't haven't uh haven't done that yet but just three simple letters for me which is like our guiding principles one is so g is grateful h is honest and the last g is generous Mm. so for me those are how i stay connected to what's here? Like, mm-hmm. am I grateful for what I got? Which is different than content. I'm just, I'm happy. I'll take it. Whatever mm-hmm. I've got, I'll take it. I'll start here, and I'll be, I'll be decide to adopt what I have as if it's a gift. Even if it's tragedy. Even mm-hmm. if it's, you know, the COVID crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's that. Great. What's the advantage here? How is this a gift for me? Which is very different than typical, you know, human thinking. And I don't do it like that every second of the day either. But it's like a commitment of mine is to stay grateful. And not like a cliche way. I really want to decide that I have what I need to get started, Mm. is a way of saying it, right? And then honest, like dealing with what's there. And that's for me as a perpetual striver, perpetual, you know, I've been in a lot of service oriented work in my life. And so I can really, you know, spend my time trying to help other people. Which I think is really, you know, ends up creating a pretty good life. But you can also lose yourself in the process. And mm-hmm. I've definitely definitely seasons of time when I've been so concerned about others that I haven't actually stood for me. So part of the honesty thing is is being honest with what's happening, being honest with what's going on for me. Most top leaders don't deal with their needs well. I would mm-hmm. say that like it ends up being pretty passive aggressive or avoidant uh, or just aggressive. You know, and they mm-hmm. just everything, every everything, like they're entitled to like say whatever they want, whenever they want. Mm-hmm. Um, but when they get to that point, it's because they haven't had a conversation when they needed to earlier, and so now they're in reaction mode. So that's the honest piece and generous. You know, it it does work. Like I do live by the reaping and sowing principle. Um, is that you know you get what you give, and if I want to get something great out of life, I better give to get it. Mm-hmm. And so investing in others is the way for me to keep what I've got. You know, mm-hmm. so there's an old there's a, there's a phrase i like like you 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 keep what you give away mm. so if it's and that's why you know in my specific work i'm always learning stuff just cuz i'm you know i i need i need to learn more i need to be on a growth edge and if i'm not all, if i'm not doing the if i'm not my first client then i'm in trouble cuz i'm going to run out and and then be protecting what i've got instead of always being willing to be splayed open be willing to be wrong be willing to um, take a risk and fail, I'll be willing to miss a client. I mean, I tell all my clients that if I'm not putting our relationship at stake in every conversation, I'm not serving you.
0: Oh, man. That's good. <laughs> and scary. Well, <laughs> scary.
2: Yeah. Scary yeah. for everybody. Because yeah. it means I'm going to say things that aren't comfortable for me to say for sure, because I don't want to lose them or offend them. Um, but mm-hmm. I'm more committed to them. I'm more committed to their success than them liking me. Yeah. Um, which is a, a weird relationship. And I warn them all like, Hey, this is going to be a weird relationship. You want somebody, you know, if you want somebody <laughs> to you know, yep. want somebody just to encourage you, call your mama. She probably thinks you're awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, and you know, if I'm going to believe in you, so I tell them if I'm going to believe in you, it's going to require me not to believe you
3: mm. most
2: of the time. Right. So I'm going to actually hold up your word to reality and see if it's true. So anyway, uh, you asked the question that I've now forgotten as I've, as I've just been thinking with you out loud. Um,
0: Well, we went down a great path. I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, how did you get into leadership?
2: There it is. Great. So the short version is, um, you know, I've I've always just had a a desire for it. And it was partially, it was like, it was modeled for me. Both my parents are leaders and their community there. I grew up in a small town in the middle of nowhere in Illinois. Oh, really? Where? Yeah. yeah, Southern Illinois, a little town called Salem. Awesome. Uh, which is about an hour and a half east of St. Louis. 8,000 people.
0: Go Midwest.
2: Um, go Midwest. Yep. Yeah. And Midwest and
0: roots. <laughs>
2: awesome. Where, where at?
0: Grew up until 16 in Upper Michigan, Marquette, Michigan, then yeah. Wisconsin, then Minnesota. Yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. M- both of my clients I talked to, one's in Columbus, Ohio, oh, and yeah. then one is, was born and raised in Pennsylvania. Anyway, I tend to connect to those people really well and easily. So both, both my parents were leaders. I got that. It, I understood it I, when it was... My, both my parents were public school teachers and then they led in every environment they were in. So I grew up in very uh, like a religious context. Mm. Um, and they were... My mom was the music gal and my dad was an elder of the church. I saw that. My dad built baseball diamonds and we ran the baseball league in my hometown. And now my dad's on the city council. Um, they both taught for 30 years in that town. So they know everybody. And they're, you know, they're fixtures of the community. So I, I got to see my, my dad. I joke, my dad's like the George Bailey of my hometown. Mm. People get that reference. Like he's just this beloved figure that's been around. I mean, he, he grew up, he went to high school where he taught. Mm. Um, so he grew up in that town, went to high school, went off and got a degree, came back and taught there for 30 years and coached, I don't know, 15 sports along the way. So my parents really modeled involvement, community involvement, which I loved, which I got and I appreciated. And they were very involved in our lives. And so it just became a thing I always wanted to do, which was well, and and I guess the also the honest answer is when I got to be a teenager, I realized, you know, and maybe it's as universal teenage angst is like, you know, am I going to get picked for stuff, Mm. right? Like, how do I get picked? And then I realized, hey, if I'm the leader, I do the picking. That's Ah. better. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I'll just be the captain of the team. Mm. Okay, let's do that. Um, And so. Uh, so whether from you know really positive, and I think we're all mixed bag. I know I am. Like you know the light and the dark, and they mix pretty heavily. Mm. So are the good you know the maybe proactive or healthy reasons are there, and then also the you know compensatory reasons are there. Like I'm also doing it to avoid something.
3: Yeah.
2: You know to to avoid loneliness, I you know build something so I have people around me. So I'm familiar with those conversations inside of me. So I've just always done that and been, and been, and been okay with being a little bit odd or being like a, a paradox. You know, In college, I was playing football and I was a nursing major. So figure that out. Wow. So, you know, and, and I didn't know, I never knew a like- A very valuable
0: football player, actually. Very, very,
2: very, yeah. If somebody gets hurt, I can <laughs> yes, bundle you yeah,
0: exactly.
2: we're, we're, we're okay. I never knew how to answer the question, like, what do you want to be when you grew up? I, mm. didn't, I didn't have a keen sense of a career path. That's for sure. I knew what mattered to me on some level. Like I liked being around people. I liked. I was. I typically was the guy that was kind of at the party and knew everybody, but was, you know, sitting in a corner somewhere having a deep conversation with somebody. Mm. Like that mattered. That mattered to me. Um, Mm -hmm. And I liked being known. I liked knowing everybody and like being a a ringleader in some regards. But I also liked going deeper than most people. And I mean, and I say that more as like a confession. Like it was hard. Like I was like in my family, I was like. Pretty intense. Mm-hmm. They always say, aid, aid, why are you, Aid? That's what they, they call me. Mm-hmm. Aid, why are you you don't, you don't have to be so serious all the time. <laughs> that's what mm-hmm. I, I got most of them. And I never knew how to turn that off. I just, I was always interested in like how relationships work. Like, how does mm-hmm. that work? How do mm-hmm. you communicate? Like, you know, and how do you connect? And how do you get along? And how do you fix something? And how do you, you know, all that stuff was just of interest to me. And it seemed like if I could figure that out, then a lot of other things would work out. So I didn't know what to do in life. So I was like a pre med, because I the science worked for me and I liked all that. But then I realized I didn't want to be a doctor. So I just happened to have a nursing major. I'd never thought about it before, a nursing major roommate in college. And I thought, oh, I'll just do this. I get to travel the world. I did have an adventurous spirit, wanted to go see places and and uh, you know, travel while I could while I was young and go to I kind of was drawn towards dangerous type environments. Or like, you know, I I've always had a little bit of a chip on my shoulder, or a lot of a chip on my shoulder, and wanted to go places other people weren't willing to go. And mm. and so anyway, to that for a bit, and loved it. And I worked in the critical care world, and mostly pediatric critical care. So picture really sick children, and therein lied a lot, lied, lied a lot of comp. It's a complex environment, mm. and I, and I, in an odd way, really enjoyed that. Mm. Cause you know, you're there to help the kids stay alive. And then for me, I also got that if I could help the parents deal with it, that I would be a memorable person in their lives. Like that I could serve them in a way that they would think back, you know, this was horrible, but that guy really helped us. Mm. And that mattered to me when I was twenty-something or whatever. And and I had a mentor that helped me see like the art and the science of medicine in that context. So but that wasn't you know I didn't have an aspiration to go be a nurse. I just was a nursing major because I wanted to go travel the world. I, the my spiritual life grew for me. I I am compelled by by a narrative that um, there's some there's a higher force out there, and for me, God is like a a, a global advocate who wants the best for the world. Mm-hmm. So that was compelling to me. So I I left that work and got in, I worked at a church for multiple years out here in Los Angeles, a church called Mosaic that I um, really respect and. Um, and they were a very flat organization, very entrepreneurial, and which most religious organizations are not entrepreneurial at all. Very top down. This this guy that led Mosaic named Erwin McManus, who's brilliant. If you have uh, any spiritual interest and want to you know listen to somebody that's got something to say, he did, mm-hmm. he does. Um, so I just you know in my twenties, I thought since I still don't know what I want to do, I ought to go be with people I want to be like, and I was really compelled by this guy, and um, he then you know took me and many others like me under his wing and really. Mentored us. And so I get to travel a lot and speak about leadership a lot. And we were, we were on the front end of like the positive psychology movement. Like Gallup, mm-hmm. used, Gallup used Mosaic to test the Strengths Finder.
3: Hmm.
2: So, in the beginning of Gallup, when they were starting to put the Strengths Finder together, one of the main guys at Gallup went to Mosaic. And so, anyway, we became, uh, we called ourselves the research and development arm of Christianity. So, mm-hmm. we, we were loved and hated by many. And as a 20-some-year-old, I got to travel the world speaking about leadership and talking about entrepreneurial leadership and talking about how to run a team. And so I didn't really know what I was talking about in practice, but I know enough in theory to help people. I mean, I'd been involved in teams and such, but you know, I was teaching to people that were 20 years older than me. But the ideas worked. So um, I did that for a good while. And through that, I, I uh, was, uh, helped a guy, um, mentored a guy who came... His father was a billionaire. And uh, so he was a millionaire and he wanted to do something philanthropically. And I was the, at that point at Mosaic, I was running about a 2000 person organization called Serve LA. And our mission was to connect you know, well-meaning people to opportunities in the, the city and then some globally to go make a difference, whether it was serving downtown and at Skid Row or... Or connecting with other nonprofits and mentoring a kid or, you know, helping a homeless family or, you know, building a house for habitat or whatever it was, just mobilizing people to go create good in the world was what I liked doing. And I was the liaison to that and like building bridges and building teams were kind of like my two focuses. And so this guy asked me to go build this foundation. Long story, very short or shorter, I promise was to, um, when we did the work, we did it in prison. So he ended up really caring about giving people a shot who have really blown it. Um, and so we, I met this guy named Dan Takini, who now is my business partner. But back then, I just hired him to come in and do these four day, a three day leadership trainings in prison with lifers. And I saw in him something that he could do that I couldn't do. He could really shift a room dramatically very quickly, with a level of listening and a level of maybe intuitive, intuitiveness around human behavior that I hadn't seen before. Um, and so I immediately wanted to learn like crazy from him, and I did. I went to to uh, coaching academy that he put on. I went to all his all his workshops that he put on, like a 3-day and a 4-day and a marriage thing and a and then went to the coaches academy and I just was ready and then when I when the foundation got up and going I just jumped out. I had been trained on how to be a coach, I had been in that in that environment a bunch like being a confidant for people and an advice giver to people. And so now I was suited out with some 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 new distinct paradigms that would really help get to the root causes instead of just giving some strategies, um, and, uh, just decided one day I was like, Oh, I'm going to coach. And, um, that was about 10 years ago. Um, yeah. So that's how I got into it. So it was really a deep care for the world and a deep care for people. And just, I, it's wanting to be with people at the crossroads in their lives. That's always been the, I don't know, the honor and, um, very, very fun and thrilling and frightening for me, which keeps Mm -hmm. me on my edge.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing all of that. And I love I love hearing people's backstory because now that we are here in the present moment, I can take this like needle and thread all of these different things that obviously you would be able to experience and learn and uh throw out everything that you did. And sometimes for people who are listening, you can't sometimes we can feel like we're in a wasted chapter or, you know, of our life. We're like, what is this doing? What is this serving? And looking back, I guarantee any of those moments where you question that, now how much is that serving you help serve people with where they're at? Like, what did what was your biggest takeaway out of um, working in that children's hospital like that now weaves into your life?
2: I mean, the biggest thing probably was that in any environment, Multi, there are multiple conversations that are happening, and all and and if you want to serve the environment, you better connect to all the conversations. Mm. So and and, so, and you know, and it probably already makes sense why that is, right? For the kid, I'm just keeping him alive. I'm keeping the person alive and having as much fun as possible because that's what mm-hmm. the kid needs—distraction and yep. service. What the kid needs. The mom usually needs more information so she can relax. Mm. The dad needs more information so he can come out of his shell because he doesn't have power and he usually is used to having power. And now he's at, you know, and I didn't know how to manage his wife. This is just a template of what it typically was. So being willing to have all those conversations and dance in those, all those conversations and know that they're there and realize that I could scoot right by them and be satisfied. Most mm-hmm. people were just coming in and doing the science, but I wanted to do the art and I got a lot out of it, of doing the art, like the relationship stuff. And the other part was, as I was, going on in nursing, I did a little bit more where when I moved out to LA and was making nothing and living in the hood and was working a little bit as a nurse just to pay the bills, you know, I would, but at that point I would be, you know, be hired for a day to go to like the ICU that I've never been to in a new hospital. So I became, I needed to become really fast at reading people
3: because
2: mm. I needed to, because I, I was in an, was in an unknown environment and life and and not to be dramatic, but it was true, like life and death of this client, of this patient was in my hands. Yeah. So I needed to identify quickly who the helpful person was and who the smart person was. And hopefully they were the same person, but usually not.
3: Mm.
2: So becoming good at fitting in um, enough and becoming assertive enough, even if I was the new guy, um, was really what I took away the most from that. Like being able to assert myself, even though I didn't belong, I do that. I'd never put that together, but that's really what I'm doing all the time when I'm brought into a very contentious situation between a founder and a CEO and a board. You know, they all either love or hate me, and I got to connect to all of them to get this thing done. Mm. So, you know, so being willing to, you know, locate people that's what I call it locating people, which is like getting connected to their concerns and what's going on between their ears, especially the stuff they're not willing to say out loud yet, but being willing to detonate those conversations so they come to the surface and doing it in a way that. I can be the calm presence in the midst mm-hmm. of the crisis. Like, Hey, I know what I'm doing. And, and it, this is scary for all of us. This is transition for all of us. It's okay. You probably hate me. That's okay. I'm here for you. And that tends to calm people down. So, you know, being willing to say what needs to be said and do what needs to be done. That's probably what I got most out of that environment. But that's, that's an interesting question. Thanks mm-hmm. for asking that.
0: Wow. So this, it, that just summarized so much of um why i was so intrigued with wh- how you do what you do who you are and how you were mm-hmm. interested in it because i'm wondering if that is that skill learnable and teachable because there are so many of us who i think that majority of our problems could be solved with a conversation where we could do what you yeah. just did zoom out yeah. you you literally just assessed what everybody was going through and took it into consideration and realized what different conversation tone um ed- you know what they needed in order to f- to connect each other to to everything to a solution. So yeah. in any given moment whether that's conflict with our spouse with our partner with our children with our job with our boss with our employees like there's always all of these conversations. So what is the beginning for somebody who has one? Like, I know that there's people listening who've just pinpointed their conversation that they're like, I'm avoiding this, but it needs to be solved. It's eating at me every single day of my life. What, how do you start, how do you even start looking at that when maybe you've been sweeping under the rug at work for a year or maybe in your life for 20 years with your mother?
2: Yeah. I say to most teams, I say, hey, at some point we run out of room under the rug. Oh Yeah. (laughs) You
0: know, <laughs> I need a bigger rug. Yep.
2: So, yeah, um, so I mean, we know that adults typically don't make a shift unless, um, the pain that's coming is you know, uh, is uh, I don't want to say it, um, like the hell mm. that's coming is, yep. is, is 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 terrible, right? They can rehearse it. Like if, if I don't do anything, and I say this to most people, it's like, well, let's say you don't do anything new. What's mm-hmm. it look like in a year? And if they can rehearse that authentically um, and just talk about it, how bad's it going to get? And if it gets really horrible, that's a good motivational tool.
0: So, so is it important to go there? Because, okay, so that's, yeah. you know how things for you have been innate? That's been innate in me to go to the future right. pain where I don't know yeah. if that's innate for people. It's like, they're very like, eh, no. I'm going to avoid it. Okay, so how do, yeah. we, well, how do we tap into yeah, that?
2: Yeah, well, that takes, well, the X factor here is courage you know that's i mean really what's here i mean is is like i'm not willing to face i don't want to see the 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 obst- i don't want to i don't want to know mm-hmm. right it's actually safer it is literally safer to act like i don't know but if you're a leader you do know like you mm-hmm. you know you're smart enough right you already you do know how bad it's going to get and you know we can be an and i do this all the time right it's all of us um, i uh, we can be an with ourselves but that is also a heavy cross to bear yeah. Like when I know I'm lying to myself. And mm-hmm. so whatever I'm doing to tolerate, was what, what I call it, or with clients, sometimes I'll have them make what I call a toleration list, which is like, what, what are the things I'm avoiding? Um, and, mm-hmm. when, and, and why? Like, what's the emotion that's connected to it? Mm-hmm. Because there's a reason why I'm avoiding it. I'm yeah. not a piece of... I'm, I don't know if I can cuss on this. Oh, thing,
0: yeah. You can cuss away.
2: I'm, so I, I'm not a piece <laughs> of shit, right? I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not a coward, but I'm acting cowardly. I wonder how come? What am I already associating with this? that I want to avoid it. Because mm. most people, if I'm, if I'm asking them about the future, if they say, I don't know, I usually say to them, well, let's let's say from now on, I don't know is, is actually code for I'd rather not know. Mm. Mm-hmm. And if that's the case, then I wonder why I'd rather not know. And what could it be? Let's say, you know, you say you don't know, that's usually code also for I'd rather, you know, my vision, because I say everybody's <laughs> got a vision. So no matter what it is, um, there's always, we, as humans, we can't, not operate with a vision. We're always operating with a vision. Mm-hmm. And for for many people, confusion is the vision. Oh,
0: yeah.
2: Like, you know, I'm just, conf- I don't know what, I don't know what to do, which is code for, I don't want to know what to do and I'd rather be confused than get clear.
0: Why so, is that? Why do people, why? What do you find? Well, well there, I mean,
2: I there's some simple stuff for me that's pretty universal, which is, you know, we call them, Survival needs. We're not the first person to call them survival needs, but like you know, 21st century, I guess. 21st century survival needs are look good, feel good, be right, be in control. Mm. So and our brains want to survive without us asking, without asking our permission. Like our brains are wired to survive. Mm. We've been evolving for a long time. The number one name of the game is keep the space suit alive. Number two is save energy. So if I need to keep the spacesuit alive, I can. So we make up a version. Of reality that supports me surviving. Mm. And that's physically, of course, but we're not in risk of dying, most of us, mm-hmm. um, of dying physically. But we are risk in dying to our own ego and dying to our own sense of self. And, you know, Xander says people's view of themselves fluctuates between flattery and pure fantasy. I believe that, mm-hmm. <laughs> even among myself. I usually think I'm right about stuff, mm-hmm. even if I don't want to. There's a conversation usually underneath that where I, I like, I'll do it when I'm in an argument with anybody, <laughs> or especially Callie I'll spend time just trying to be right about stuff instead of getting off it. Mm. And like being connected, I'd rather, you know, be right than be connected to her, mm. which is, which is, makes sense. If I, if the name of the game is, uh, you know, sustaining my view of myself, but if the name of the game is commitment to love, then I ought to get off it and mm. go, you know, make love happen over there for her. Mm. But my, er- mm. my arrogance protects me and damages her is my point. So, you know, survival is just, you know, the default setting for the human brain. And that's different than the default setting for the human being because I can actually be committed to something more important than my survival. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah. And you just... So when it comes to these, when it comes to the conversations, you just said something that was... um So huge. Like for each particular conversation that you're having, do you need to reframe what your actual outcome, desire, and commitment is? Like, because of course, there's always, you know, Adrian who wants to win and survive, but then there's the Adrian who's like, okay, I want to resolve with Allie or with, you know, this team or whatever this is. So you always have to change. Do you know what I'm saying? Like what the. Sure end-winning point is, do you need to be clear going in what it is that you actually want, even though you know probably your ultimate desire won't happen? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, do you have to accept all conclusions or all um, possibilities?
2: Well, interesting question. I mean, we're always, I see life as a game, Um, maybe just because I'm an ex-athlete, Maybe, maybe a current athlete. Who knows? Uh, but at least I'm an ex athlete and we're always playing some kind of game and it just depends on how big of a game I want to play. So, and, and on what timeline. So I can play a smaller game and need to be right about this thing, or I can play a bigger game and be willing to be wrong about that in a short term. So for example, I might have a, like a judgment of, let's say my business partner, because this happens. He and I have pretty robust conversations all the time. So, um, I can have a judgment of him and I can be right about that, or I could be committed to the business working,
3: Mm.
2: you know, and I get to choose that. And I, and I, so I, I can be offended or be judgmental of him and, you know, shut down possibilities for our future together. Mm -hmm. Um, or I can like notice that conversation and realize, oh no, no, I love Dan. I respect Dan. Um, he is probably the best in the industry uh, he is Obi-Wan. I'm Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. I want this guy. I can figure it out on my own. I don't need Dan. Mm-hmm. And he doesn't need me, but I want him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So, and I want this to work. So if I'm there, then I actually, then the game will be very different, right? So now I'm upset. I'm judgmental. I think he's wrong. I think I'm right. Whatever. That's just the facts of the moment. Now I can start there and have a conversation that will you know, bring us together. Because I can just tell him, hey, man. And I do, I, I do this, right? So if I'm in a conversation with him and we get off the phone and I'm still arguing with him after we're off the phone, you know what I'm talking about? Where you're like, you're out of a conversation, but you're still in a conversation. Yeah, I
0: spent like 10 years of my life that way, for sure. <laughs> and
2: that's right. You know, and I'll call, I'll still, I'll call him back and say, hey, you know what? I didn't like that last conversation. Here's what I'm making up about it. Here's what I'm making up about you. And, and here's how I'm affected right now by what I'm making up about those things. Mm. So can we start over? And he's awesome. So he'll, he'll get it and he'll get off it pretty quickly, even if he was a jerk on the call. And by jerk, I mean, most of those things are where he comes on fired up and I don't feel like he's listening to me. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just there to broadcast. And I'm trying to have a conversation. He's broadcasting. That's how it happens a lot of times. Back to the question, like one of the ways... We get by in life is we play not to lose. This is a big distinction I'm always thinking about for myself. Where in my life am I playing not to lose Um, versus where am I playing to win? Pretty big distinction. Very different approach. Mm. If I'm playing not to lose, which is like usually sustaining my own view of myself, sustaining previous success, um, making sure I still look good, making sure people respect me, making sure all those types of things that's usually very ego driven and very fear driven and very history driven. Um, Playing to win is not. It can be ego driven, but I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the sake of the mission. You know, Young, Young, calls it circumambulation, where he says, you know, that as we're becoming like we're, you know, our desires compel us, right? Our 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 wants in life compel us. And then we we elevate because of those things, but we circumambulate, because, you know, when we're going after something big, we must fail in order to actually attain it, because we're going to learn something. And learning feels like failure. Mm. For most people, because we get revealed to how naive we were, we are. Um, and that feels like failure. Um, and if we're willing to go through the pain of failure, quote unquote, in that context, then and looking like the fool, which just might be, you know, if I'm a, a jerk to my business partner or a jerk to Ali or a jerk to whoever, like if I'm willing actually to seek forgiveness and, you know, get some, you know, humility and say, hey, you know what, I missed it, even when I think I'm right about it, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, like when Allie and I were in conflict, or something, just from yesterday. She and I were in conflict during half of the day, and I was you know a lot of feelings about that and judgment and blah, blah blah. and then at the, we talked about it last night, and then I said, "Hold on, let me think about where I missed it mm. and go through and point out the areas that I missed it because i want I just want to live that way mm-hmm. um, I, The conversation was pretty much over, but I wanted to do in that moment what I didn't want to do because I wanted to slow down and confess because I just want to live that lifestyle of confession. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that religiously. I just mean telling on myself like, Hey, here's, yeah, we were separated and this and this and this. Um, and I knew when I saw you at this point, I should have, you seemed off and I, and I could have said, Hey, how are you doing? But I didn't Mm -hmm. do that. Mm -hmm. And I avoided. And then you know, things fell apart and then they went back together. But I could have done that. I missed it. Mm. So, you know, that, I hope I'm getting to an answer that's working, but.
0: Oh, no. um, all, all of it. We're getting stuff okay. from all of it. So.
2: Okay, Go great. <laughs> you know, so, so back to the, I mean, maybe to to folks that are listening that have, they know there's something that's not working. They know there's a leap they need to take mm. and they are currently busy Justifying why they're not, and that might even sound like code, what I mean is like you've all got your reasons why not to take the risk that's the easy part mm. you know the reasons to take it is the harder part uh, only because you're at risk, right it might not work, and you and you're going to be exposed, and I get it, but I just at least understand what's really going on because it, like everybody's got to make the decision about where they think life happens. Does it happen inside me or outside of me mm. and like do I Do I receive opportunities or do I create them?
3: Hmm.
2: And I don't mean that like some kind of mystical sense. I mean, I've had four big pivots career-wise in my life that I just illuminated. And I didn't go searching for any of them, but I was ready for them when they appeared. Like there was a readiness that I had. um, And I wanted the next thing, whatever that was. And I was willing to go after it. And every, all those, I mean, nursing, I wouldn't have been that satisfied long-term. I'm not that administrative. And if you're successful, you go like run a floor or run a hospital. And I don't want to wear a suit every day. But all the other things, I could have, you know, I, re- I really could have found joy in it. I know I could have, but I had to leave that to go find something new. And I, you know, had to become the fool again, become the novice again. And no big deal. As long as for me, I, I was willing to throw myself at it. You know, so we have all, we all have reasons why we're avoiding it, and if we can get honest with ourselves and find somebody to be honest with them, because you know the you know loneliness is very different than aloneness. Mm-hmm. I, was, I talk to founders about this all the time, just today, actually, that like the whole like people don't understand what I'm going through, like that's such a what we call like a racket. it's such a mm-hmm. it's such a front, because of course they don't, because you're you, nobody's going to understand you. Let's just get over it. Nobody's going to get you. I get it. I gets it. So if we quit wanting people to get where I am, or to understand me, so they can fully empathize, just get over it. It's not going to happen. Nobody's going to understand what it's like to be you. Mm -hmm. Nobody's going to understand what it's like to be me. And that helps me get off of my my need to be understood before I move forward, or my need for things to be for somebody to agree with me and empathize with me to have a relationship with them. No, I can give. I can you know be more committed to it, the vision, or be more committed to them than me getting my needs met first. So whatever the big like, leap is, if you can think about the future and realize if I do, will I be satisfied? Really, will I be satisfied if I don't do it? And that's everybody's got that personal decision. And I've worked with lots of people that said they wanted to take the leap and go start their thing, but they really weren't willing to pay the price, which is totally fine. That's not like a moral thing. Like nobody's got to go out and be an entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. You don't have to, but because but, it's hard. You know, if you want to bet on yourself every day, not everybody wants that pressure. Mm-hmm. Some of us love it. I, I love it mm-hmm. just because that's the type of game I want to play. But it's not like there's nothing you should do or need to go do. If you're haunted by it, you got to listen to it because it's probably not going to go away. Um, but you know, getting connected to the real conversation, what's the real resistance? You know, and if it's like ego driven, it's good just to, to put language on that and own it. And be responsible be responsible for it. Because even if you're avoiding it, you're gonna be inauthentic about it. So you know, that's you know, and it's never gonna work out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, my, my business partner always says, nothing ruins a plan like reality. <laughs> you know, so it's like, you know, I mean, you could don't you could spend time forever trying to make this perfect plan, but that's for you. It's not for the plan. Like mm-hmm. you're planning most of the time. To try to create a scenario in your own mind that tells you it's safe and it's not happening because it's not safe. And <laughs> you're either, bi- you're, you're either bigger than the breakdown or you're not. And like those that I think go build something amazing, just realize, Hey, something falling apart is going to make me stronger, period. Mm-hmm. So great. Bring it on. And I'm going to run at a hundred mile an hour at hundred miles an hour and at, th- at this opportunity and I'm going to fail. No big deal. Like really no big deal. So, I mean, it's it's part of the tension. We use this tool called the Harrison Assessment, which is a really distinct leadership assessment tool that's not very well used in the, or not very popularly used in the US. And it it lays out these paradoxes, these leadership paradoxes. And if you're going to map culture with a senior team or something, it's really brilliant. Um, You can check them out, Harrison Assessment, or ask me about it later. But one of these paradoxes, the self-paradox is this, self-acceptance versus self-improvement. So, most ambitious people are really high on self improvement, right? Like, hey, how do I get better? How do I learn? How do I grow? What's the next edge? Da-da-da-da, right. That's your conversation, Lori. That's mine. Mm. You know, and most successful leaders actually have lower self acceptance,
0: mm.
2: which really works, right? Because if I don't think I'm okay the way I am, it really drives me to get better. Right. Um, but what most top leaders are haunted by is some sense of shame, like, I should be better. What's wrong with me? Mm. And so we tend to get defensive. And when the pressure comes up, we tend to flip towards, we we're, we're tend to be self critical mm-hmm. and then tend to flip to defensive. Um, when, you know, that's why a lot of people have great ideas, have great ambition, but can't handle it when they bring on a team because all of a sudden now they have more eyes and ears on reality and they're used to protecting the reality. And when you get, you know, other opinions in there, it's messier. And then you got to deal with that of what's true and what's not true. And how do I talk about it? And how do I not get defensive? And how, you know, every founder I know is very precious about their organization, which is natural. You know, they always talk about it like it's their child. Of course that's true, because it is blood, sweat, and tears, you know? Mm-hmm. And that attachment to it as a child is really codependent. Like it needs to be XYZ, otherwise I'm not. Mm-hmm. And that will kill people. Mm-hmm it does it blows up companies founders get fired because they can't detach they can't separate their thing from themselves mm-hmm. so if you've got like this growth mindset which i didn't come up with that language of course but if you got that growth mindset that hey it's going to fail that's okay i'm going to fail it's okay my commitment is to get up and be persistent and be resilient then you know bring it on
0: hmm. tell me about your relationship with uncertainty
2: my relationship with uncertainty. I'm not certain of much (laughs) is what's true for me. Uh, And that's part of it is, part of that is strategic. So, uh, you know, if I think something is the way I think it is, then when I'm out there engaging with it, and that could be a person or that could be a thing, whatever. Mm -hmm. If I have, that view of it that's pretty fixed, like I'm sure I know what it is, then I'm probably going to have a strong agenda Mm -hmm. and that agenda won't let me listen to contrary information.
0: Oh, interesting. Mm
2: -hmm. Right? Because that's the way our brains work. Like we actually, usually we make a decision and then our brains, without asking our permission, our brains make a decision and then go out and collect evidence about why it's right about about that decision. That's like neuroscience. We can't turn that off. Unless we decide to be curious. Curiosity can break up dogma. Curiosity breaks up anger. Curiosity breaks up a bunch of stuff. So, like uh, being okay with the uncertain is a commitment of mine. Like, I don't know what's going on over there. That 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 lends me towards curiosity. Mm. So I don't, I don't want to live in this world where I think I've got it figured out. First off, my ego would love that. And when I'm operating in my own ego, the, as my mother would say, it's not the Adrian Kaler show. Um, <laughs> but she said, she said that to me, oh, I don't know, 5 million times growing up. So I want to go find out. And my commitment is to be like an explorer type mentality. Like, I want to go find out. Let's go see what's over that ridge. Mm. Um, let's go see what's happening. Oh, here's what I think this guy's thinking. Let me go find out. So uh, uncertainty for me is almost like a tool that, uh, and probably intuitive, I haven't thought about it like this, but uncertainty is like a tool that provokes curiosity in me. And I think curious people are the most compelling people in the world. So I'd rather be curious, you know, if I could be impressed by someone, mm-hmm. that's just a better strategy in life. So I hope those ideas connect together, but it's like, mm-hmm. I, I, I dig, I dig uncertainty because it usually puts me on my toes. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, and I'm leaning forward and, and like engaged and I'm the type that gets really bored pretty quickly. So if something's new and uncertain, those two things go together. Um, then I'm pretty compelled. Mm-hmm. So. Um, that makes a day or a conversation like every call, every new client, every call with a conflicted situation. I never know what's going to happen, so it really pulls me into a, a a way of being or like a presence or like a mood that's um, really highly engaged. And I like feeling engaged. Like I really dig that form. I like it in myself, and I think most people like talking to somebody that's engaged, really listening, wants to know, and curious, and they feel. Like advocacy from the other person. I mean, I'm committed to being a fierce advocate for my clients. That's what I tell all of them. Mm. So I got to be. I'm willing to not know what's going on, Um, which that all connects to uncertainty for me. So
0: yeah, I want to live in a big world. That is so interesting. You just put me in a room with because I'm usually in a lot of rooms with a lot of people I don't know well. Um, You know, and you teach a lot of people, so probably vice versa. Same thing for you. Mm-hmm. Um, And you literally just made me realize, like, you really do show up as a different person yeah. if you put the question in your head first, because there are times that I use it, but there are times you just kind of default back to, you know, being... Yep. human and yep. being like, yeah, totally. hey, this is what I think I know about this person. This is how I'm going to approach this conversation. Um, yep. And when you flip it and you're like, what if I don't actually know anything? I would be yeah. a totally different person if I walked up to everyone in that room like that. Um, And I That's would be... Right honestly more interested so yeah, yeah. that was really you know i don't you think you're doing it and you yeah we're not always doing that so i i want to know one last question cuz i could talk to you all day and our time yeah. is running out and i don't want to tell me about because it's so interesting with uncertainty and especially right now Tell me yeah. about what, how you feel about like uncertain times in the world. Like when you can tell, I sure. mean, it's always, right? There's, all, there's always uncertain times in the world, but especially right now when a lot of people are feeling really unsure and they're acting in completely different ways and they're in a lot of fear right now. And what, is, what are questions that you wish more people would either ask you or themselves during this time? So your relationship with uncertainty in accordance to the world And then what are questions that you wish more people would ask you?
2: Yeah. Um, Let's see. Let's see. We've got a phrase we use uh, that Dan brought to me from his years and years of this work, this transformational leadership work, what they used to say back in the 80s, which was, so what, now what? Hmm. And what they mean by that or what he means or what we mean by that is like, first off, stop, stop resisting reality. This is what's happening. Mm. now is it good news or bad news that this is happening now that's up to us now i don't mean that glibly in this moment uh because obviously there's sickness and people are going to die and that right so there's some severity there Mm -hmm. beyond that for most of us that won't that whatever we'll make it through the world's uncertain and really it's always been Mm -hmm. it just feels more that way now because you know there's lots that are outside of our control and we actually know it i mean i'm kind of a serenity prayer type guy everybody's Mm -hmm. Probably familiar with that colloquially. You know, God grant me the serenity to know, but um, to know what's in my control, know what's not, and then to know the difference, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, most people, there are, well, there, there are many views of reality. So, mo- when things are uncertain, most people will, f- will follow or take the closest life raft, which hunker down, make it through, survive. And everybody buys that. Right. Cause that's actually socially acceptable. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause many, many people, their businesses are going to crash now and they're going to get to blame the uncertainty for it mm-hmm. or XYZ is going to crash. And now the uncertainty becomes the narrator of the story. I wish people would not give up their agency so quickly. Mm-hmm. And many won't. Many of this will be the most successful time in their families. Many of this will be the most successful time in their career but that is something that people choose to harness. Mm. And so I I typically, when I'm hit by something I don't like um, or something's happening that I don't prefer, when I'm of sound mind, I'll say to myself, what's the advantage in this? Mm. Which is not what my brain is thinking about. My brain is thinking about how much this sucks. This is not what I want. Don't they know me? Don't they respect? Blah, blah, blah. I'm going into like self-pity wrapped in arrogance. But the but when I'm of sound mind, I'll say, "Hold on. What's the advantage here? How do I take how do I take advantage of this? What do I get to do now that I didn't get to do before?" Mm. Um, and that's a very different question to live in. Mm-hmm. So, you know, this is uncertain. That's great. I mean, it, it talk about a time when being generous makes a difference. People. There are people that are freaked out right now, and to be a voice of calm for them. Uh, is is going to build rapport with them that 'll pay off later mm-hmm. you know and if you want to take a risk, take it now if you fail you't can, you can blame uncertainty for it like really it 's okay you know this is the time to take strides so that's i mean what i what I wish people would ponder is is that this is a moment i mean uncertainty typically helps us reprioritize ourselves, mm-hmm. so in that context, like we get clear about what matters and what doesn 't matter to us. And we can make new choices through that. So it's kind of a nice uh, you know, I used to say control all delete, but we're not on PC, we're not on PCs anymore. <laughs> but it's a nice like shaking up of the etch a sketch, if you will, or mm-hmm. some, you know, it's like there's an opportunity to make new choices here and you're justified. Like, you know, have an epiphany today. Just mm-hmm. decide, oh, hold on. Uh this is this is new. Yeah. What's a you know, and like, you know, and so we can hunker down or we can engage. So I, that's what I wish for people. I wish for myself and my team is like, hey, this is a huge advantage. Like, you know, what is it? We don't know. But if we live as if there's something good that's about to happen, some opportunity that's around the corner, um, we'll see it. We'll find it when it when it when it appears. Mm. Um, but if I'm you know committed to just surviving the uncertainty, and I think the uncertainty, you know, sets the parameters of what's possible for me, then I'll be right about that, and my life will stay the size it is, or get smaller. Mm. so psychologists call it like external locus of control versus internal locus of control and is it running me or am I running it
0: Mm.
2: you know this is a perfect time to become really great at navigating uncertainty if you want that
0: Mm. yeah I am I'm sitting in that every day and I'm like how comfortable can I get with not knowing anything at all um,
2: that's right (laughs) yeah it really does make
0: me even it, it makes you realize what you're in control of creating because it's been a right. really beautiful time of realizing like how you can go into a creation mode and completely almost Um, it's not that I'm being naive to what's going on, but you can create a world within a a different world that people are experiencing. So that's kind of, it goes back to the beginning of, you know, what meaning are you making? And I've, I'm making a really powerful meaning out of this time right now. And I know a lot of the listeners are, and I know that you are and, Um, I'm so grateful you came on at this time um, to talk about this because I think it's so valuable and needed right now. And then maybe we can, you know, talk you into coming on later about um some scaling and leadership stuff as well because I know that you just have a vast amount of knowledge about so many mm. things. Um so maybe we can try to get you to do a part two. I'm just trying to, you sure. know, get you to say it yes on here. So yes. that we have yes. it. Okay, great. All right. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I'm on record. No, I, uh, <laughs> no I'll be, be like, remember be, this?
0: I'm gonna play it for <laughs> you.
2: <laughs> I've always I mean that contribution uh is you know, the game I'm after anyway, not not every day am I in that mindset. But that's that's the biggest commitment to me is is you know to contribute. So if there are ways to keep contributing, I'm in. And uh so thanks, thanks for the conversation. I know an hour uh flew by very quickly.
0: Oh um, I'm so incredibly grateful. And I want to make sure that people can find you because I know that you are doing so many incredible things and offering different trainings and um I know yeah. you work with a ton of different leaders. So where can we find you? Where can we follow you? All that good stuff.
2: Sure. So, my name is spelled funny. So, it's Adrian Kaler, K O E H L E R. Um, our website's Um, You can find me on LinkedIn, um, on Instagram at the moment. It's A D E K O E H L E R. And I'd love to dialogue with anybody. And um, if you want to have a follow up conversation, love to. However, I can serve anybody. That's what makes, you know, gets me up in the morning. So, love to connect. So, mm-hmm. thank you
0: so grateful for you. And you guys, I will be sharing um, also when he goes on the podcast with Allie um, because those conversations are going to be freaking amazing as well. And something that we love to do here, all the listeners know, if you got massive value from this podcast, which I know you did because I did, I would love if you would tag Adrian on Instagram and tag myself, upload this to your Instagram stories, upload this particular podcast, and write what your biggest takeaway from him was was. It's just a beautiful way to say thank you. It's a beautiful way um, to share it with your audience. So you guys make sure you tag him, make sure you tag me, and we will also, I will also share your story. So Adrienne, I just want to say thank you again. I'm like so ridiculously grateful that you gave your time. Um, And this was so much fun. So
2: thanks for having me on so much fun. I could, I could do this all day so
0: well, you're um, about to on thank you. on, the, on your own podcast so <laughs> it's I am be great.
2: yeah all yeah, right. it's really fun. yeah, it's really fun. I guess I guess let me make mention of that so raising the bar is the podcast Ali and I are now doing together where we look at the the internal process mm-hmm. of of entrepreneuring
3: mm-hmm.
2: um, and the, the naked leadership podcast is the one with me and my business partners, and we interview a lot of founders as well. Lori, I'll be coming up for a conversation with you soon for that Mm -hmm. Um, but we like to look at what's going on behind the scenes for all the leaders Mm because we all need we all I mean when I hear when I hear my struggle through someone else's mouth I feel more connected and I move forward faster so Mm -hmm. that's part of part of the mission so thanks for already I know you've created a huge community of people that are committed to loving each other supporting each other advocating for each other helping everybody win and if there's any time in history we need that is right now so Mm -hmm. thank you
0: Thank you. And you guys, make sure you text this and share this with a friend right now who you know needs it. And until next time, earn your happy. Bye, everyone. more of. It would really help us out on our journey to helping thousands and thousands of people. Until then, don't forget to earn your happy. Thanks again, guys. Bye-bye. But did you also know that journaling decreases stress and helps you achieve your goals faster? In fact, journaling is a huge differentiator between average performers at work and high performing people. It leads to longer term clarity, confidence, and success. So why don't more people journal? Why didn't I journal consistently? Honestly, they don't like staring at a blank page. It's hard to carry a book around with you or a notepad, and they just don't even know what to write about gets better results in our life.